Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today I'm going to be joined by Tony East, the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast, to talk everything Malcolm Brogdon. Who is he as a player in this point of his career? What would it take for the New York Knicks to trade for him? And how would he hypothetically fit with Emmanuel quickly before we finish up with some quick hitters on Miles Turner and TJ Warren? All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, you're ahead of the curve. You already know that we have a very special guest. You also know that if you listen to our teaser. Uh, but some people skip that part. Uh, we are joined by Tony East, the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast of Moonlights on Locked on NBA as well sometimes. Tony, a frequent guest as we perpetually try to acquire Miles Turner on Locked on Knicks. How's it going, Tony? The Knicks and the Hornets have wanted Miles Turner for so long that I just, I, I'm I'm almost not a co-host, but you know, I swoop in every trade deadline time or once in offseason to to update everybody on how that situation is, and then I go back to, to my own corner of the internet. There you go. And 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 we'll we will touch on Miles Turner just, just for nostalgia's sake at some point during this podcast. But nominally, we are here to talk about Malcolm Brogdon, potentially one of the Knicks primary, uh, certainly one of their primary trade targets, maybe just flat out one of their primary overall targets at the point guard position this offseason, a perennial, uh, just not quite good enough to be an all-star guy, but but very, very talented player. Uh, But Tony, I'll, I'll throw it to you this way. Has he improved on his time as an Indiana Pacer? Because if I if I just box score watch, I look at the stats, I see someone who's pretty much been the same player the last three seasons, actually fell off pretty dramatically as a three-point shooter from last season to this season. Who is he now? And is he someone who is, if not on the downswing, just kind of who he is at this point? Yes, he's had an interesting time here just because of the Pacers' situation since he got here. He came to Indiana from Milwaukee wanting to be more of a point guard, have the ball more often instead of being the off-ball guy. And you mentioned the shooting going away. Like, that was a big part of why he was so good at it in Milwaukee. It's like Giannis is his teammate. Chris Middleton is his teammate. No one's guarding him, right? He's very open. He comes to the Pacers, and they trade Vic 10 10 games into his second season. Like, he's the guy, right? So all his shots are way harder, and his skills have had to evolve. And at the same time, Every year he's been here, different head coach, Nate McMillan, then Nate Bjorkren, this year Rick Carlisle, right? So he's been asked to do different things. He's been asked to play more on ball, at times more off ball when Savona's had it with Bjorkren more at times. So his, that's why his assist dip from year one to two. Then this year he goes back to more on ball, and then he gets really badly hurt and only plays 36 games. Like, it's really hard to assess what he's done and how he's sort of evolved as a player in Indiana because so much keeps changing with this franchise and because he's missed so much time with injuries. And basically every season he's been here, I don't think he's played more than two-thirds of a season since joining the Pacers, which is a big concern as, you know, if we get to fake trades or anything that you have to consider in that sort of situation. So his skill evolution has been like his point guard skills, his drives to the basket, his floaters. That's the sort of stuff he's definitely gotten a lot better at as he's developed in Indiana, like two-point percentage. If you want to look at any one stat that he's improved at, has gotten better every year here, the floater specifically 
was a big improvement for him. But because he went from a more pass-heavy role with Nate McMillan to a more off-ball role with Nate Bjorkren, the year he hit 39% from deep, to this year where it was just sort of in and out of the lineup all the time and they swapped their whole team halfway through the season, it's kind of hard to evaluate his growth just because so much has changed. But he certainly has shown that he can go from an off-ball player to an on-ball player with the Pacers. How valuable do you think he is to the Pacers' future, and, and how do they see him particularly after the Tyrese Halliburton acquisition? Good question. <laughs> because what what they say, you know, I and you can't – like having a lot of ball handles isn't bad, you know. Like there's a lot of good teams left in the playoffs who have a ton of guys who could be a primary. But, you know, the Pacers have said, Kevin Pritchard, their president of basketball operations, and Rick Carlisle, the coach, have said, like, yeah, I think Halliburton and Brogdon can fit together. And I think, yeah, okay, Brogdon can shoot it. Uh, last year, at least, he was 39%. He was 50-40-90 with the Bucks. Look, Seems like he can shoot it. Halliburton's above 40%. Like, in my head, they can both be on and off ball. And they only played in eight games together, so it's hard to say. It, it looked like at first it was going to be pretty good, and then it sort of waned away. I'll pull up the numbers while I'm talking uh, from being supremely effective. So it seems like it should work, and the Pacers have publicly stated that they think it it should work as with those guys together, but it doesn't look like it works. You know what I mean? Like not having the ball in Halliburton's hand just made the team look a little worse, which was strange. So in general, I would say if the Pacers want to be good next year, there's always a chance that that both are back on the team and both try to play together. But they had such a yeah negative 17 was the net rating they ended up having with both guys on the floor last year. Much better with either one or neither on the floor, right? So it, while the Pacers have said they think they can fit together, I, it doesn't look like it necessarily. And because they are now a younger team and, and, and changing things up, I don't know if Malcolm Brogdon is necessarily in the plans just because he's 29 and, and doesn't necessarily fit with the, their new key part of the franchise. I mean, to that point, uh, your classic uh, sneaky old guy, right? He's only been in the league maybe like seven years, but came in, I think, 23 years old when he came into the NBA. Uh, how do you think his game ages? Because obviously he's an expiring contract, but if you're New York and you're going to give up significant assets for him, even if that just comes in the form of, of the 11th pick in the draft and, and some salary filler, that's that's a big chip to give up if you're the Knicks. Um I, I know he's, his reputation is as one of the best drivers of the basketball in the league. To your point, he, he does have a proven track record as an off-ball shooter um, as he gets into his 30s. What, what does he look like as a player? It's one of those tough ones where sneaky old always conflicts with like, oh, everyone always says the same thing. Like, oh, he doesn't have a lot of miles on him. He's only been in the league for a few years, but like beat, got beat up a lot of Virginia too. And I think, you know, I don't know this for sure because the Bucks actually drafted him, but I've heard and I think it's been publicized that you know, injuries at Virginia were part of the reason he wasn't a first-round pick, right? And then he ended up being Rookie of the Year and having a healthy rookie year, playing 75 games, and then has only played over 60 once since then, right? So the the aging part for him is I think he'll continue to be pretty effective driving the ball and as an off-ball guy. Like, he's a really smart player. He's a good defender, and he's so massive for the position he plays that he'll always have some sort of advantage that should last with him for a while. But I think he can be effective for probably three or four more years at least, uh, but but you know, as I've spoken to his evolution, you know, his change of growth with the Pacers, he'll probably have to evolve at some point. Like this year was the fastest he's looked, I think, where in terms of getting past guys and actually finishing at the rim. But that might go away not too long from now, since he did just turn 29, right? So he might have to evolve his skill set. But because he's so good at the free throw line and off the ball, he'll still be effective to me at least for the life of the rest of his contract. Since the Pacers gave him that extension last summer, the question is, you know, how will he be able to evolve his game, or how will those evolutions really affect his level of impact? And you touched on it there, but what do you think of him as a defender? Because I think at points he's gotten the reputation of being an elite guy at that end of the floor. And and in the NBA, it's it's, it's always somewhat nebulous what, what elite means, right? Because the best guards in the league are still 
going to torture league guys for 30, 35 points. I've always thought of him as maybe a notch below that, like good, like very rarely a liability, but but not quite in that top, top tier of guard defenders. Where, where would you put him um, on that spectrum? Yeah, the size is always the biggest thing for him on defense because he, he can guard one through three, sometimes four, right? Like small fours are a thing now in the NBA. Six foot five can, can credibly do that. And he is stocky enough, you know, at, at two, what is he, 230-ish pounds. I should have that up and know that. But uh, to guard a lot of guys. Like he is a good on-ball defender for sure. And he reads the game well enough to be an okay off-ball defender. He struggles a little more there. But he really struggles with quicker guards. And so with Milwaukee, when he was the two or the three, next to Eric Bledsoe or next to whoever they had a point guard, that was fine. He wasn't guarding quick guards all the time. With the Pacers, when he's playing point guard, he's guarding quick guards all the time, right? So those weaknesses really popped up. Like quickly, for example, was the guy who cooked him quite often uh, in his time with the Pacers, right? So I think he's a good defender. I think your assessment's more correct than the people who call him like a lead or really solid as a ball stopper just because fast guys just give him so much hell. Like he either gets way too up in their jersey and he gets beat or, you know, he's not quite quick enough on a closeout and they just blow right by him. Like those kind of things are where he really struggles. But in general, I would say he's an above average defender. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to your point, that's what makes him a, a good fit next to Quickly potentially because I think Quickly is sort of the, the consummate point guard defender, not not in that he's elite at that spot, but in terms of his build with his wingspan and, and because of Quickly's relative lack of size, like he he almost needs to guard point guards and, and Brogdon being a little bit stockier, being a little bit bulkier, um, he I think he could be potentially a great fit defensively with quickly. I'm curious how you think those two fit together offensively because to your point, I mean, Brogdon does have this history playing off the ball and, and the Halliburton stuff. I mean, with, with eight games, you don't want to put too much weight on those numbers, but how did he look to you? And, and what do you think did go wrong in those lineups of him playing off another creator? Because I think maybe not in Tom Thibodeau's mind, but in my mind and, and hopefully the mind of the Knicks front office, Emmanuel quickly is going to be a cornerstone piece for the New York Knicks. And I think any kind of major acquisition you want to keep in mind, how does he fit with quickly? How does he fit with RJ Barrett? Yeah. The, the offense with Halliburton and Brogdon, no concern, right? That end was fine. Their defensive rating with both of the floor one, one twenty-seven. Uh, holy, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it was like Halliburton was not a very good defender for the Pacers this year. But they had all sorts of problems after the trade deadline defensively. I'm not going to pin that on any one player. That said, the fit with quickly on offense should be awesome. Like Brogdon is very good as like that secondary attacker to me. He's that's probably his best role in the NBA to me. Like he can kind of be a primary, but he's not quite that level of passer. Like he sniffs top 15 in assists, you know, per game, which is is pretty good. You know, he's a good floor general, but he's a lot better at attacking like already damaged defenses where there's already a hole for him to kind of push into and make something happen that's where I think he's the best and so playing with a guy like quickly who can be that guy who gets the paint touch or who gets a defense moving and then kicks it to him so he either has an open three or has an opening to already attack and make decisions from that's where I think he fits best so offensively I love that fit defensively you know quickly so scrappy in point guard spaces the TJ McConnell experience for the Pacers side you know quickly is a better defender than him but that sort of realm of talent you know, that, that's a good fit on both ends to me, and I agree with you that, you know, from a Knicks perspective, as they try to figure out who they're building around, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right, guys, we'll be back with Tony in just a sec to continue our conversation on Malcolm Brogdon. But first, I got to tell you how you can make some money. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and this weekend's run to the roses as the Kentucky Derby is BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Uh, personally, 
I'm going to be heading to bet online to put some money down on who I think the exact matchup in the NBA finals is going to be. And I think maybe an overreaction to last night's games. You can now get the Milwaukee Bucks against the Golden State Warriors with eight to one odds. I still hesitate to bet against Giannis in that series against the Celtics as impressive as Boston looked in game two. And I think the Warriors, again, despite that game two loss, still the most explosive offensive team left in the NBA and, and still have a certain veteran savvy that will get them back the Mem- past the Memphis Grizzlies and I think give them a fantastic shot against the Phoenix Suns. That, that's the odds that I'm looking to make some money on. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online when the game starts. And what do you what do you think of Malcolm Brogdon's impact in Indiana as a culture guy? Because obviously, I mean, he's I, I think he got got the nickname. Uh, what was it? Was it like the president or like Barack Obama? Like at Virginia, like like he he's he's known for being like one of the dudes in the NBA from a leadership perspective, from an intelligent perspective. Anyone who's ever heard him on a podcast knows like he's mind blowingly smart. Um, but how, how do you think he's impacted Indiana over his couple of years there from that perspective? Top five community guy in the NBA, like easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to have him to have him on the team for like a very turbulent couple of years in America, like was fascinating to see how he sort of, you know, led a community and still continued to, to impact his community. While also he has this um, Hoops 2.0, I think is what it's called. I, I don't want to butcher that, but the H2O in it is the big part of it where he builds water yep. wells in Africa to get people in, in Africa access to clean water. He brings a bunch of NBA players over to Africa with him every single year. Like he is an A1 community guy and that, that will carry with him everywhere he goes. Like, yeah, you're right. Like hearing him talk, hearing the, the way he speaks, the way he carries himself is so impressive. And that sort of community stuff is a big thing to him. Uh, NBA um, Players Association, vice president, like he is everywhere in terms of having a community impact. And that's, that's a big factor and a big plus for him in terms of who he is as an asset as well. Yeah, and I think particularly on such a young Knicks team, and they have Derrick Rose filling that role as of now. I mean, who, who knows uh, what his long-term future is on the Knicks? Um, I think he would be he would he would fit in with the Knicks culture that uh, Julius Randle aside, I think is in a very good place and, and would sort of have a multiplicative effect. Uh, Tony, I'll throw I'll throw you a question that's just impossible to answer, but I'm curious your take on it anyways uh how would you project his health going forward i mean to your point already like a guy who's suffered a a myriad of injuries uh, throughout his career had a a pretty brutal one this season um do you think he's he's 100 healthy going into next season and 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 do you think this is a case of a guy who's just had a number of fluky injuries or or is genuinely just pretty brittle at this point in his career uh so good question i definitely think he'll be healthy going into next season like he was he was healthy at the end of this season but uh (laughs) He needed rest, <laughs> rest, as everybody knows how that goes when teams aren't trying to win games at the end of the season. Like he, not the New York play. Knicks. The New York Knicks don't play that <laughs> not, game. Not the for, Knicks. I did see that the Knicks for, uh, dissuaded <laughs> from that strategy down the stretch of the season. For, if for you better pull, or worse. like, I think I think Fox Sports is the best at this, but a lot of places track a player's injuries and like list out what body part it was. If you go to Malcolm Brogdon's injury page on Fox Sports, like it's just everywhere achilles health and safety protocols hamstring left ac joint hip back knee neck cervical strain concussion like he has hurt everything and so you know a lot of guys like sometimes you get really worried about a guy like a big man's foot or like a a guy who's hurt the same knee twice you know that kind of stuff it's more obvious of like oh wow he has a lot of injury risk in this part of his body and then it's more more obvious to say this guy's injury prone with Brogdon, it's just you i think brittle you said brittle like that's the perfect word for him right like he just 
all the time it's it's something you know and and he fights through it like he comes back pretty quick from the injury but just something keeps him out all the time and that's why you know he's never had like one big thing keep him out for a while except for the hip thing he had uh in 2019-20 but then that happened right before the shutdown and he was healthy for the bubble right so the only really long injury he had he barely missed any time just because of how it worked out so it's just a ton a ton of little things that just stack up over the course of a full season that make it Really hard to project. Like he always talks about working on his body and trying to get healthier for every season, and then it never really comes to fruition. So he starts the season really hot and looks great, and he's in great shape. And then as the injuries add up, it you know he still is good, but kind of waxes and wanes his effectiveness as the season goes on. So it's really really hard to project. Do Do you think he's a guy Indiana is looking to actively shop this summer? Would the better descriptor be like if we're blown away by an offer, he's someone who could be had? Yeah, that's a good question, <laughs> which is a stupid answer because. I, you know, this is like to me, they should probably should be. Um, but I understand from the, their franchise's perspective of being a small market team, like you don't want to be bad for a long time. They haven't been 25 playoff appearances in the last 32 years. Like they, their owner, their their leadership group, like they know, like we want to be good as fast as we can every year. Right. And they said after the trade deadline, after making a ton of clearly rebuilding moves because they were in 13th in the East, like that was the right decision. But they said, like, we're not rebuilding. Like they said that publicly. Impressors. So if they actually aren't rebuilding, keeping a guy like Brogdon around makes a lot of sense, right? They think he fits well with Halliburton. He's a good off-court leader, a good vet for these young guys, you know, just a talented player that eventually could fetch you something if the season goes poorly again. Like those factors say maybe they should keep him. But <laughs> actions always speak louder than words. They also said they probably weren't going to rebuild this year, and they did. And so, you know, I think we'll kind of find out more around the draft. Cause to me, you know, him and Buddy Heald, who's 29 and uh, TJ McConnell, who's about that age, like they're, they're not old, you know, they're still valuable, but they're outside of the range of a lot of the rest of the Pacers core. And so it would make sense to me to move those guys for younger pieces or at least stuff on the same timeline as the team. So it kind of depends on what the Pacers want to be. If they really don't think they're rebuilding and they would like to be good, perhaps Brogdon's back, but if they follow the, the path of every NBA rebuild ever <laughs> for the history of time, perhaps they would like to move on from him and a few other guys to get a little younger or a little more on the same timeline with their core players. Uh, seem, seemingly a non sequitur here, but do, do you watch uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm at all? I do not. I do okay, not. all right. Well, well, there's this whole bit on it where Larry David goes, uh, uh, "Do you do you have respect for wood?" and just keeps asking people if they if they respect wood, and if it ends with someone spilling something on his wooden table. But anyways, uh, that's a long winded way of saying, Tony. I know you have respect for Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. Yeah. We were talking about it a little pre-show. I mean, to your point, with, with all, all your Locked On Knicks podcast appearances, you're well-versed. And I, I appreciate that because we, we, we have some other uh, un, unnamed Locked On hosts on, and, and you throw out like a name like that, and they're like, yeah, I don't really know. I'm like, there's, there's some good players. Uh, all, all, all the way to ask you, um, what would be your ideal package uh, from the New York Knicks for uh, Malcolm Brogdon? I'm here to make friends. So I'll say I like basically every Knicks young guy except for Cam Reddish. And I did a lot of Pacers fans wanted Cam Reddish. And I was like, why? I don't really get it. And so seeing how that went for New York with absolutely no offense to any listener was like, all right, a free win for me. Um, Yeah, the package is tough. So I'm going to go back to a different Pacers trade for a second and I'll loop it back to this. They traded Carousel Vert uh, to the Cavs in the middle of last season. For Ricky Rubio, who was out for the year with an ACL tear, he's just salary filler. And we can figure out what that would be in this trade in a minute. Uh, A first-round pick that was lottery protected and the 31st pick, the best pick in the second round. And so Brogdon is better than Karis LeBert, certainly. So I would, in my head, say at first, well, he should fetch more than that. But we already ran through that he hasn't played more than 60 games, but twice in his six-year career. 
And the injuries make me think, okay, maybe he's a tiny bit more value than that, but not much. So that's kind of the value that makes sense to me. Like maybe the first round picks a little bit better than that. And then the rest of the package is the same, or maybe the salary filler is actually like a real thing instead of just a guy who's out for the season on an expiring contract. But you know, a little higher than that value, I would say, is what makes sense given his talent level, but not like so much higher that it seems crazy to me or anything. So close to that. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem like too much? No, I think that's reasonable. And I think the package that's been thrown out there quite a bit. And I think um, the Athletics' Fred Katz actually had an article where he talked to an executive where he kind of pitched the idea of the Knicks trading the 11th pick and, and filler, essentially, for Malcolm Brogdon. So maybe it's something like the 11th pick, a couple second round picks thrown in. And then I guess I guess what who and what the filler is is sort of the question there. Derek yeah, Rose would make. <laughs> I'm looking I, at the salaries now. That's tough. Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder. I don't. I don't think Derek Rose gets you all the way there, but I think he would make sense as a guy who wouldn't necessarily play for the Knicks uh, as much next year, and someone who. I, and oh, again, maybe like you, you're you're not uh, totally enthused by him, given that he also missed essentially this entire season. But a guy, the last time we saw him play was arguably the Knicks' second-best player. And if he's still that guy, I think someone who could certainly be helpful to Indiana, even if they are trying to win games next year. All right, guys, we will come back with Tony, uh, wrap up our Brogdon conversation, uh, a quick talk on both Miles Turner and uh, some TJ Warren tidbits. But before we get into that, I want to remind you this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto with the ever-increasing number of makes and models It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning? Uh, And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from the chain store or car dealership? Plus, Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years with reliably low prices for every customer. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All you have to do is write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Yeah, looking at this, like... It seems like, because Randall's not, that's not happening. Like we, we could throw that out of this. I know that that would be awesome for an expansion. That would, it would make the Sabonis rivalry even more fun. <laughs> uh, I, I How did that become a thing? We I have no idea. Was it like just, lefty and lefty or like guys who send it at the same time? I don't know it how was that just, became a thing. I'm sure you had the same thing where like it was like the third or fourth time they played him just like these guys hate each other. Yeah. And there was it was no explanation for it, but it was it was great. I, I would get irrationally excited for any Knicks Pacers game because of so, Sabonis had that one really big game in the Garden in 2019, yeah. but that was before Randall was anybody. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Randall became amazing last year. That went away, but and then they hated each other. I never really like knew what started that. Like the weird. Patriots have weird beefs, like Miles Turner and Bam Adebayo. Like mm-hmm. that's a brand. It's like what? You know, I I know what that one's from, but it's like that's such random two players. Yeah, it seems like just looking at the Knicks salary sheet for this year and and or next year, because you know they could do it after July first, whatever. That doesn't matter. You know, it almost seems like one of Nerlens or Kemba might like have to be there almost to make the salaries match, which is tough because Fournier's probably negative money at this point. I don't know if you agree with that or not. It's close. He closed the season better. Randall's not happening. So then you're at Rose and you'd need more filler in there or Burks or Noel and Walker, whatever. There's a million names. But it seems like you're going to need one of those guys in there to make it happen. I don't know that the filler matters too much for the Pacers. They have a lot of – they don't have, like, any money concerns next season. They'll be under the cap. Um, so as long as it's not, like, a negative value contract, it seems like if they can just get the filler to match, then that 11th pick's 
pretty enticing, I think, if you're the Pacers at this stage. Like, they thought they were going to get this Cavs pick, and then they end up flaming out in the play-in, and they don't get it. So that would be enticing from a Pacers perspective, I would think. And then the seconds don't even have to be that good. Like, 11's a really good pick to get for a guy like Brogdon, who may not even fit with your new franchise cornerstone in Halliburton. So that's that's pretty close to me if it's like 11 some seconds and the salary. But the salary is the hard part, obviously, in this. Yeah, I think I think Noel's an interesting name just because he really doesn't serve a great purpose on the Knicks right now. And and maybe if Indiana got off Miles Turner in, in a separate trade, he would be somewhat compelling for them. I, I think well, from the Knicks not pers- much purpose yeah. for the Pacers either, but the the money is needed. I you know that's what yeah. makes the challenges of this. Maybe imaginary team X can be the third team. I don't know. Everybody always says that. Like, let's get a third team involved in Navi. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll be game. Yeah, yeah, no, um, they're, in. I, they're in. They don't care what it is. They're <laughs> it's fine. It's totally cool. Yeah. Um, but I, I think from a Knicks perspective, it makes a lot of sense just because they already have, I believe, seven players currently on rookie contracts, and to add in another guy who at the 11th pick most likely won't be ready to be an immediate above average NBA player. I don't know the way the Knicks have drafted the last few years. It's it's plausible that they'll get a steal and he could be that kind of guy. But I I think someone like Malcolm Brogdon, given the Knicks priorities, which seem to be to get back to the playoffs, it makes a whole lot of sense. And to your point, he's just such a clean fit with Emmanuel quickly. All right, we'll we'll move on to the the name everyone wants to hear us talk about when Tony East is on the Locked On Knicks podcast. It's Miles Turner time. Uh, Tony, uh, I'll, I'll keep it a little bit more general with Turner, but uh, given the DeMontis Sabonis trade, do you think that sort of erased the need to get off of Turner? And, and Indiana could maybe just look at him, how so many other teams in the NBA look like a nice player, not a guy we're building around. Um, or uh, I know Turner had some comments earlier in the season about wanting to be more and thinking he could be more in another system, in another context. Were those alleviated at all by the Sabonis trade, or do those concerns linger? And does he still want to end up on another team ultimately? It's a really interesting to talk about that part of the season because he so, – so Turner from the start of the season to Christmas was awesome. Like probably the, one of the best stretches he's ever had. And then he had this foot injury that made him just be awful for his last about 10 games and made his averages look sort of pedestrian or like right with the season averages. But he really just played close to the best basketball he's ever played. And maybe not earned, but I get why he thought, yeah, I want a bigger role. Like I'm, I'm kind of tired of doing the same thing. And then he got hurt in January, so I he didn't get to play. Like, they finally tried Sabonis so he could be featured, and he didn't get to play, you know, with Halliburton who can get him the ball or just in a more, you know, at-the-five kind of roles he was playing the four on offense for so long. So to answer those kind of questions, it's hard to say. You know, I think he's excited about the idea of doing that if he is back with the Pacers next year. Mark Stein reported earlier this offseason that, you know, the Pacers have some interest in keeping him around a little bit longer, potentially. And that makes sense. Like, they have Isaiah Jackson, who looks like he could be something good. They have Gogo Batadze, who flashed some good stuff. But neither of those guys look like they're ready to be a full-time starting center. Like, they need something there. And Turner, at 26, you know, unlike Brogdon, who's 29, is just young enough that you could say, yeah, he's a part of their rebuild timeline. Like, Chris Duarte is about to turn 25, even though he was drafted last year. So he fits the kind of their timeline still, despite being a talent. So... Uh, I don't know necessarily how they feel about, you know, him in terms of what I said earlier about the rebuild versus actually being good next year. But it seems like someone they could want to keep around, especially if he wants to stay. And it seems like he'd be happy with that, given what he said at his ex interview. And because without Sabonis on the team, he can finally be featured a little more at his more natural position of the center. Yeah, what, what do you think the Pacers look for for the Knicks? In, again, this is a conversation we've had a million times, but I, I guess in an updated version of a Miles Turner trade, would it be like one of an Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin or, or something a little less lofty, something a little more veteran? Yeah, uh, sure. I, I want that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Pacers, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, it seems, so here's the thing. I have been a Quickly to the Pacers guy for a while. Now that Tyrus Halbert and that does not make as much sense. So Obi yeah. is the guy that makes more sense there. 
Uh, that 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 Obi was really good to close the season, right? Like how much how much yeah. do you personally screw get rid of the Knicks from your head? How much yeah. do you personally like view the difference between like trading Obi as a as an asset versus the eleventh pick this year? Um, I think they're I honestly think Obi's somewhat of a better asset in my mind, which yeah, sounds I, crazy, I but but because of the way he finished the season and just because I don't think I think a more creative coach could unlock elements of his game that we haven't gotten to see specifically by playing him as a small ball five, which I think would be, he, he's just a fantastic passer and he's very rarely put in position to show that off. And as a short roller operating as a five man, I mean, not, not to mention the fact that I think he is just one of the most efficient role men in the NBA and, and rarely gets to play that role. Um, and then the other big thing that it's hard to tell if it's real or not with him is that he showed himself to be, well, or not showed himself to be, but over a 10 game sample size to end the season was a fantastic three point shooter. When for most of his career has been a terrible three point shooter. And it seems like a situation where like, all right, you actually give him a chance to get in rhythm and not have this idea baked into his head. I will be pulled every time I miss a three pointer. Um, that maybe there's there's a decent shot in there, and his form certainly looks much improved, and if nothing else, more consistent. So I'm I'm in on Obi Toppin. I personally wouldn't want to see the Knicks trade him for Miles Turner, but I do think the Knicks, specifically if Tom Thibodeau still has any say in personnel decisions, would, would happily make a move like that at this point. Yeah, I like from the from a Pacers perspective, just thinking about that, like that Obi seems like a pretty good fit for. The, their new team structure, positionally, age-wise, talent-wise, just skill-wise in general, that seems like a pretty good fit to me. So if they could fetch him in a Turner trade, that would be a pretty good value to me. Like he has less value than than Brogdon does, definitely, uh, especially on an expiring deal. That's why if they could fetch Obi, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised. Actually, I don't think he has quite that much value. But if they could do it, <laughs> hey, all right. And obviously, you know, frustrating on the Knicks side that the young guys don't play that much, and Tibbs does what Tibbs does. Although I I still think Tibbs is a good coach, but I understand the frustration. Yeah. Turner would be awesome with what he does. Like the way he defends and the skills he's good at, like like Tom Thibodeau would love him. So that is a good fit that makes me think that, you know, I guess they'd be willing to give up more than I would for him. And if the Pacers could get OB, that would be great. But it seems like less than that would be the way, like someone in the Deuce McBride, uh, Quentin Grimes kind of tier of asset, and then maybe a little more like somewhat interesting stuff. But I don't know exactly how to sort through all that. Yeah, the interesting thing is the main appeal of getting Turner for me would be to unlock Obi Toppin, but I'm scared that the Knicks would think <laughs> the main reason to get Turner would be to unlock Julius Randle, which um, and he, Julius seems to lock and unlock himself every, every year successively, and I don't know if it has anything the, to do with the it. The appeal of the Knicks having Miles Turner is they don't have to play Taj Gibson anymore. Like that, that whoa, whoa, like whoa, dude. He's he's, he's sneaky good. Stuff. Like, every every five games. I don't think Taj every, Gibson is bad. It's just it's yeah. time to stop. <laughs> Time to stop playing Taj yeah. Gibson if you're a younger. Maybe, team maybe that's that's reasonable. Oh um, no, I was doing so good at making Knicks fans happy. No, 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 you're still you're still good. You're you're <laughs> you're, you're net net positive for sure. All right, uh, we'll, we'll finish on this. Uh, TJ Warren, unless I'm crazy, he's he's a free agent, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, what am I? Not that I don't think he's a particularly good fit on the Knicks, but. I think he's someone who could be a sneaky – I've used the term sneaky way too often in this podcast, but a sneaky, interesting signing for someone just given that – I mean, he was he was a dude in the bubble, and and then it seems like everyone forgot about him. Uh, I lived in uh, Phoenix and went to about a million Suns games during his first four years in the NBA, so I'm I'm a devote uh, T.J. Warren fan. Uh, one of just, – just has some of the better touch of anyone I've ever seen play basketball um, just ever. Uh, but w- what do you think of him as a player after basically missing two seasons? What do you think his, his value would be? And does Indiana have any interest in bringing him back at this point? Yeah, even in the four games he played post-bubble, like he was really good. He had 23, 17, and 17 in the last three games of that stretch. He was bad against the Knicks and then really good the next three games and then was out for the rest of that season and all of this most recent season. 
Uh, so pinning down his value is like impossible. You know, like a navicular fracture is bad <laughs> and it takes a long time to heal. And then he had another foot fracture again and then he missed the whole season. So I, I have no idea how good he is anymore because, yeah, he, he was unbelievable in the bubble. Like they, they made the all bubble teams. Which what, Does anyone care about that? I've never seen that brought up ever since they announced the team. Uh, but he was on it. Like he was that good then. And taking at the same time, basically, he took a little bit of a three-point jump before he left Phoenix. But at the same time, he figured out the three and the defense part of basketball at like the same time. So he went from like a mid-range assassin, and that's kind of it, to like, oh my God, this guy's a really valuable NBA wing. So if he can even be 90% of what he was, you know, in the in his full season with the Pacers, even pre-bubble, he was really good that year. Like, that's a that's a good player. That's a really good player. But if he's not, which is a ton of risk, I mean, I have no idea how good he's going to be, then that's not a very valuable player, especially because you have no idea how fast he can be, what his athleticism's like, how much space he's able to create. Like, foot injuries are really hard to evaluate. So I, I would imagine the Pacers would like to bring him back, just see what they can do there. You know, having his full bird rights gives him an advantage, makes it more trade possibilities in the future. He likes Indiana. One of his best friends is David West, who had some of his most successful years with the Pacers. Like, there are a lot of reasons that that fit makes sense, but what contract is he going to get? Like, are they willing to offer it? He's 28. You know, I talked about the Pacers timeline and ages earlier. Like, that's probably a little outside of what they're looking for, but they had no wings last year. Maybe they'd like to evaluate wings with their new team. So there are a lot of reasons to me that they would and wouldn't bring him back, which is a terrible answer. But I think the fa- the reason I can't really answer those questions is just because like I have no idea what he's worth or how teams view him from a money perspective. So maybe the Pacers having a bunch of cap space means they'd be more willing to to make a money risk this year. It's not as a big of a deal if it goes poorly. But it's just really hard to say what the priorities of all the parties are there. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it'll be the Knicks, but I think an interesting uh, long shot signing for some team in the NBA, maybe it is the Pacers. Uh, Tony, uh, thank you so much, as always. Uh, clearly, as anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, you're, you're a, a wealth of knowledge on the Pacers and uh, happy to happy to learn. And always, always, an interesting, always an interesting team to talk about because I think there is some, some brotherhood between the Knicks and Pacers, even though the Pacers have been, to your point, a much more successful franchise. Um, I, I don't know why I was I always associate them. I always think there's there's some overlap. Well, there. the Hicks the Hicks and Knicks rivalry is why everybody associates. That's it. I guess that's it. older than us. I was I was too young to like really know what was going on back then. But I think a lot of that, especially with the Spike Lee Reggie Miller stuff, like there's still a little bit more. When yeah. The play the Knicks, you know? and, and of course, the even grander Sabonis Randall rivalry. But uh, Tony, before I let you go, can you uh, can you tell everyone one final time where they can find all your great work? That's right. Locked on Pacers for more Pacers stuff. We're running through every Pacers free agent. So if any of those, you know, TJ Warren, Lance Stevenson, Jalen Smith, Jalen Smith, interesting Knicks, but guys, uh, interest you. We'll break that all down on the Locked on Pacers podcast and cover the team for Forbes and some local newspapers here in Indianapolis that you probably can't get if you're a Knicks fan. But uh, if you are an Indy, uh, the Westside Community News is the place for you. Man, as a as a as a also Suns fan, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Smith, TJ Warren, all coming up in the podcast just has has me a little triggered. So we'll wrap it up there. Uh, but thanks again, man. And uh, for everyone listening, uh, please subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Subscribe everywhere that you can get podcasts of both Locked On Knicks and Locked On Pacers available wherever you get your shows. Uh, until next time, be good. Peace out.